0: Welcome to Shoot the Flick I'm Frankie Sparks
1: And I'm Scott Eisenberg
0: And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies
1: That we do, that we do And this week, we have a very special guest
0: Oh, indeed
1: We have the host of the Cult Worry Podcast Antonio! How's it going, man?
2: Hey Hey I'm amazing, guys. Thank you for having me on, especially to talk about this one.
0: <laughs> yeah, this one's going to be interesting.
2: You hmm. can call it Cultworthy.
1: Um, so, Antonio, uh, I want you to plug for everybody the Cultworthy podcast for us real quick. Where can they find you? What your podcast is about?
2: So, I've got two shows. The main one is the Cultworthy podcast where I highlight obscure cinema, cult films, And films that deserve a cult audience. There's a lot of obscure cinema out there that is ready for a cult audience. It just hasn't been discovered yet. And now that we have streaming and we have YouTube and we have all these different resources, you don't have to find these in bargain bins at Walmart anymore or at the video store that doesn't exist or at someone's yard sale. They're all available now. So that's what that show is about. And you can find that anywhere you find podcasts or my website, thecultworthy.com. My other show is the Cultworthy Classic, which you two have been guests on and will be on very soon. That is a podcast dedicated to cultworthy cinema made before 1970, where I talk about films from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, up until 1970, again, that maybe don't have a big audience, or maybe were looked at at one time as like cinematic gold, and then maybe because of like political changes or content has kind of fallen off the radar. That's the one that kind of gets them back into discussion and conversation and observation. So yeah, you can find that on the cultworthy.com as well. Both
1: amazing shows. I listened to them whenever Antonio posted.
2: (laughs) Thank you. I'm curious. and, and, And this is why I'm excited. I've been thinking about this all day long. There are just certain things, right? That, Some people just love unapologetically. And this is one of those films for me. On that note, I have never sat through this film with a girlfriend that liked it. I've never sat through this with a female, and I'm not trying to be sexist here. It's like I have a hard time sitting through Gilmore Girls, I have a hard time sitting through Sex in the City. To me, this is my equivalent of something like that. So I'm really curious how your viewing experience went with it. I can't wait to get into it.
0: Yeah, we're we're going to chop it up. It was definitely a mixed bag, I got to say. <laughs> I was very wishy and washy about it. <laughs> so we'll we'll get into it.
1: It was funny cuz we were talking to her mom earlier today about this movie. <laughs> And,
0: and she basically said the same thing you're saying that <laughs> my dad loved the movie and watched it a million times. And my mom has also seen it a million times and hates it. Yeah. But only watched it because my dad watched it a million times.
1: It's a fun movie. I actually have a good time with it. I occasionally will just randomly go,
2: Can you dig it? Yes. There are so many quotables to this. And. There's so many, I want to say, like, little token things of this movie that before, like, this whole NFT thing even existed, I had the baseball furies drawn on my backpack in high school. I had Warriors posters in my room before anyone knew what it was. Like, there's something, like you said, when it's cult-worthy, it's a guy thing. It's almost like a rite of passage, almost like a secret handshake is what this (laughs) film is to me. (laughs)
1: <laughs> when i first saw it the thing that always stuck with me is the spray painted logo i always loved the look of the logo of the warriors
2: yeah
0: yeah when the like opening title sequence like started you're very into it and very excited i'm like okay <laughs> this is not the first opening credit sequence we've ever seen
2: well and i don't want to like start jumping into this without giving frankie her opportunity to do her spiel on movies like she always does because I feel like I would just take this thing over.
0: You know me so well.
2: I'm an avid listener so I know your formula and uh, I don't want to step on it.
0: Oh my goodness. I guess I'll just breeze through my fun facts so you guys can continue with your love fest for this movie. (laughs) The Warriors released in 1979. I feel like we didn't actually say the title of the movie although you get it. You guys get it. Okay. This is a man's picture. I don't belong here, clearly. <laughs> but I'm just gonna do my spiel, and, <laughs> and then no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So okay, this this movie was co-written and directed by Walter Hill. He was behind movies such as Forty Eight Hours and uh, Streets of Fire, which I feel like you've seen, right? Scott? I have
1: seen Streets of Fire.
0: <laughs> Antonio's giving us a thumbs up. <laughs> it was also written by david shaber he wrote a movie called nighthawks with sly stallone and rucker howard i thought that that was an interesting (laughs) little tip i'm like anyone listening who hasn't seen this movie you're picking up what i'm putting down
1: it's actually sly stallone and mandel calvrizio
2: the main yeah billy d williams
0: oh we love that (laughs) I didn't realize it at first, but it's based on a novel written in 1965, and the book was basically a a rebuttal to the romanticized view of gangs depicted in West Side Story. So the author of the book, Sol Yurik, he he based his novelization on his experience as a New York City welfare worker, and the movie itself has a lot of uh, grit to it. Like you can feel the granules of this movie the whole film looks like it smells of cigarettes (laughs) it's just that kind of vibe
2: cigarettes leather vests and the subway
0: (laughs) oh my god the first question i asked when the warriors themselves are introduced which okay the whole movie is about gangs right so the warriors are like the main gang we're following and the first freaking question i asked they're on like the subway or something and they're all in matching vests and i'm like okay clearly the fact that you're in a gang would imply that you are some somehow financially downtrodden in some way shape or form so to like did you like make these vests yourself did you get them produced like i just want to know the logic behind how why you're all dressed like why are they all dressed like idiots first of all and why are they all oh. dressed the same invest some of the like Antonio mentioned the baseball theories they're all wearing baseball uniforms but not just baseball uniforms baseball uniforms with freaking like Halloween face paint on I don't I don't get it fully, the logic of it, but I guess it doesn't matter in the grand scheme.
1: <laughs> the look of the gangs is hysterical when they start panning over people like, these guys have straw hats. This is this is the Asian gang.
0: Oh my God, <laughs> the insane. Asian gang. It's just fucking guys with funny hats. And I'm like, all right, that doesn't look bad at all. But um, what, what I really enjoyed reading about in regards to this movie is, is like all the behind the scenes drama, <laughs> like in getting this together and like the fuckery that happened, like when this movie was released. There was a lot of uh, like vandalism and violence, and Paramount ended up halting like the whole ad campaign and everything for this movie because they were scared that the teen hoodlums were gonna take over the movie theaters.
2: Do you really think that teen hoodlums in New York were wearing baseball fury outfits or, or, well, yeah, different exactly Asian things? <laughs> And to, the point that you were making earlier, how this was written as like a rebuttal to the romanticized gangs of West Side Story, this is really the complete polar opposite. These are like romanticized and fantasized gangs that don't really exist, but the way the story is portrayed and the characters are portrayed, it, they play it so straightforward. It's not heavy handed. They they shoot it and tell the story as if yes, these are the gangs of New York. Haven't you seen them walking around? It's like that reverse romanticism. It's almost like cosplay that's accepted as like normal life.
0: Exactly. Yeah, literally, okay, we're going to get to this too in a hot second, but like in the first scene, right? Or like the first big scene of the movie, there's like all the gangs of New York just like hanging out together, like thousands thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people just huddled together in this like, little sliver of like park or something in new york and it's like okay no one (laughs) no one says anything there's no person in like a lofty fucking apartment building screaming out shut the fuck up down there (laughs) like no like this doesn't this wouldn't happen (laughs) in real life
1: They can take over the city, Frankie. That they can didn't take make sense either. Okay,
0: we have to like... I'm, oh, this is going to be fun. Okay, <laughs> we need to get into this. So um, I, I'm i ready to get into the nitty gritty. I'm, I'm ready to hear oh. you guys sing this movie's praises while I like poke holes in it the well, size of a car.
1: <laughs> well, the other thing I did want to talk about real quick is because we, we did bring it up earlier. There are two ways New York is shown in movies. Mm-hmm. It is either this beautiful landscape of all these tall buildings that you fall in love with instantly or Uh, it's the dirty, dirty, dirty grime. Right. That is the gum on the shoe of the world.
0: Right. Correct.
1: This movie does not shy away from being the
2: gum on the shoe of the world. True. Well, I mean, yeah, like when we're seeing New York now in this, in this movie, what 1978, 79, if we're thinking about it, we've seen the Dirty New York of Taxi Driver like a couple years earlier, the New York of uh, Death Wish. You know, these are are, like the crime-ridden films that we're used to. This is like a superhero movie set in that particular time. It's almost like kind of what they did with Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, where we're not in a glossy Gotham City. We are in like the seedy underbelly Where all the weirdos live and I don't know like I've heard people you guys are New Yorkers but I've heard people who like live in New York say that they've never even seen that side because they've grown up their entire life of avoiding it.
0: Yeah New York is a weird place in that way and that like you can you can know that that side of New York exists but never really come in contact with it at all because it's just so very like different areas in New York are very Starkly different from one another.
1: So, are we ready to get into the nitty gritty? I'm
0: so ready. For yes. This.
1: <laughs> okay. We start with images of Coney Island.
0: Right. Um. I did enjoy the like the earworm that is the simple ass pinging score in the beginning. I was like, oh my god. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm just ding, 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 ding. It's just like over and over again. <laughs>
2: Well, and to talk cinematically really fast, Walter Hill, who is one of my favorite directors, has a very particular style. He does it in this, he does it in Streets of Fire, and he does it in a film called Johnny Handsome, where he starts telling exposition in the opening credits, blacking out between action and then like a a black title card with the credits that are coming, coming towards you, which they do in this, which is really cool. And it kind of sets that movie up. It gives you energy right from the start. And so that's one of the first things I remember about this movie is that opening title credit sequence is fucking baller, just the way it's edited. And you're introducing these characters and you're almost getting an idea of their personality traits in like the first three minutes as they're talking about where they're going and what they're doing.
1: They're all going to this meeting, this meeting of all the gangs in New York. Hosted by the Magic Man, Cyrus.
2: Oh my God! <laughs> Cyrus's few minutes on screen might be one of the most memorable and quoted sequences of film ever, in my opinion.
0: I mean, it was very like televangelisty, cult leadery
1: thing, and like
0: that's all well and good. Well, <laughs> just the way he
1: speaks. It's fun. <laughs> the way he speaks his lines. I can understand why all these people would kind of look at him and be like, yeah, that makes
2: sense. Like, can you count? Can you count, suckers?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just felt like blasting we built this city while he was talking. And the more and more he was talking though about his grand plan because the grand plan essentially is like they I'm paraphrasing obviously, but the man is pu- making us you know go against each other. But really, if we band together, we could take over the whole city. And the more he's talking about this plan, I'm like, yeah, okay, there's only like however many cops in the city, right? But then, like, there are other places like right next to New York <laughs> that also have cops, and then you know, the National Guard and like you know, <laughs> other government and Law enforcement that could very easily just kill all of you. <laughs> I don't know if this is gonna work out long term.
2: well, I mean, it's a sales pitch, right? You just get excited for the sales pitch the same way some people get excited for like a timeshare convention just so they can get like a free weekend in Vegas and a buffet meal. like it's <laughs> it's something like that, right? like he's he's got this grand plan. It sounds great. He sells it. Man, that jacket alone that he's wearing would convince me to follow him at least for a little while.
0: I mean, can can we just talk about like some of the gangs that we get introduced to right <laughs> off the top? There was one gang that like all the guys were just dressed like Prince. There was one gang who was all mimes. Why, <laughs> why it's, it's, why why are there why are there so many mimes, Scott? I don't understand. <laughs> why
2: you didn't mention the yellow windbreaker gang that's one of my particular favorites oh my god i
0: thought first of all the name was ridiculous i wrote it down electric eliminators i wanted to die and then it was like it reminded me of the freaking pink ladies from greece i was like this is great (laughs) this is amazing you all got the same cute little
1: jacket (laughs) oh we're missing this the danny zuko accent to go of somebody here yeah for sure you got this whole scene all these gangs look like they're coming together And then Frankie literally looks at me and goes, so what's going to happen now? Because Mm -hmm. the police are starting to pull up. And then a gun starts getting passed through the audience into the hands of our main antagonist, Luther.
0: Yeah. uh, He's played by David Patrick Kelly, who he has a lot of credits actually. Um, But he, he's the come out and play guy. That's the only thing I know about this movie going in is that there's that scene where this guy is like clinking bottles and saying, Come out and play.
2: Yeah. And if you if you've listened to my podcast, it's in the intro song.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. But um yeah, I mean, one thing about the the cast of this movie is like for the most part, you're not gonna know anybody, which is fine. Like there's a couple of faces and, and uh names that are somewhat familiar, but uh we'll we'll get to that as we as we go. But I do appreciate that like Everybody's kind of fresh-faced in this movie. It's, it gives off the very independent
1: vibe. So Luther gets the gun. Luther aims the gun at Cyrus, pops, and Cyrus is dead.
0: Um, but yeah, he dies, and then uh, one of the warriors sees him. And his name is Fox, and he's played by Thomas Waits. He also was in The Thing. He played Windows in The Thing. Ah, His character was interesting in this movie (laughs) because (laughs) um, he is behind, I should say the actor Thomas Waits is behind a lot of the main drums behind the scenes of this movie. Mm -hmm. Thomas Waits was actually uncredited in this film because he got fired (laughs) and his character was, spoiler alert, killed off eight weeks into shooting the film. Apparently he didn't get along very well with Walter Hill. And he was supposed to be main character and have, like, the romance with the girl that we're going to meet soon in the movie. But they, I guess, didn't get along so well. So Walter Hill was just like, we're just going to kill you off. Okay, bye.
1: <laughs> so, again, Cyrus is dead. Fox sees the incident. And then one of the warriors goes over to check on Cyrus. And, of course, Lufer screams out, the Warriors did it!
2: It was the Warriors!
0: He's the most dramatic person <laughs> I've ever seen.
2: So intense in all of his line delivery. That's why I love that guy.
1: Cleon, <laughs> who is the leader of the Warriors, then gets like beaten the hell out of and arrested probably afterwards.
0: Oh, I, I took it as they beat him to death.
1: Yeah,
2: I think he's dead.
1: The Warriors, of course, run and do not realize that... Uh, they have now been blamed for this murder.
2: I was going to clarify that a little bit. I The way I've always interpreted it is that the gangs in the immediate vicinity of Luther that hurt him are the ones that attacked Cleo. All the other gangs have scattered, and that's why they're not hunting the warriors down until Luther calls a radio station and tells them that it was the warriors that did it. Oh. And that's when the DJ yeah. announces okay, boppers, Yeah, it sounds like the Warriors are on the run.
0: Ah, uh, okay. And
2: the DJ, if you haven't already oh, researched yes. that.
0: I'm, oh, yes. I'm
2: going <laughs> to let you do it then.
0: <laughs> oh, the, I got so excited because <laughs> the DJ is played by Lynn Thigpen, and um, I recognized her immediately, even though they don't show her whole face. <laughs> but she, <laughs> uh, she played the chief in Carmen, San Diego. Hello and welcome to Acme. I'm the chief, but you can call me well the chief and uh for for my little cousin who i babysat for years she also voiced luna in bear in the big blue house (laughs) but mostly the chief in carmen san diego and her voice is very um iconic (laughs) she played the dj on in the local radio station that was basically like sending out signals to the to the gangs in the area like okay like the, this gang screwed up in getting the warriors so they're still out there boppers you go get them it's like okay yeah
2: we we have a warrior spotting let's go take care of it
0: at one point she's sending a message to the warriors themselves like okay we're everybody's after you now so just so you know and then they the song she plays is nowhere to run, nowhere to run to, baby. Nowhere to hide. it's like oh shit
2: And I'm not sure if you've already made this analogy. It's in a lot of the research, but this is like a modern day take on the Odyssey, essentially. You've got this, you know, army, kind of like Odysseus and his crew, getting stranded from their home, and then the Odyssey of the Trek to get back to Coney Island. And along the way, they get separated, and they are chased, and they are hunted, and it's... It's a really interesting analogy because even the death of Cyrus is very almost like Shakespearean or Greek mythological in the way that it's represented.
1: Yeah, they definitely do try, especially when we first see Cyrus shot dead, they do do the Jesus pose and give him like... The larger than life kind of persona, the way everyone talks about him, and oh stuff.
0: yeah, as soon as they dragged Cyrus away, I'm like, oh, they're gonna lay him out like fucking Jesus, and this, sure enough, there he is. I'm like, oh, okay, got it,
1: cool. There's a little bit of a battle for power here, though, because now that Cleon's gone, we have Ajax and we have Swan, who both want to make their claim for being war chief. <laughs>
0: Right. So, Swan is played by Michael Beck. Him and Ajax, I would say, are the most recognizable actors in the movie. Michael Beck, I I don't know, I feel like he was getting set up at some point to be, like, a big star, and then he did, like, this and Xanadu, and then they were just like, no, (laughs) this isn't gonna work. Have you seen Xanadu, Antonio? (laughs) You haven't lived <laughs> if you haven't seen Xanadu.
2: Oh, yes. It was actually featured on one of my What the Fuck musical episodes. Oh, and I, love it. <laughs> I say do a double feature Michael Beck night where you watch this followed by Xanadu, and then you'll understand why we don't see Michael Beck that much anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, he he's like our real lead of the movie. I think at one point, Fox, who, like I said, played by Thomas Waits, I think he was going to be kind of the lead. But that obviously didn't work out. So then he kind of got pushed into the spotlight, which kind of makes sense because he does give off more attractive lead guy vibes than Thomas Waits. No offense to the guy. But then you have Ajax. Who
1: is the muscle of the Warriors.
0: And he's a cocky, gross asshole. I was so certain he was gonna die, so certain I was like waiting. I'm like, okay, when's it gonna happen? <laughs> and spoiler alert, I was wrong. So I-, I admit when I'm wrong.
2: Yeah, and James Remar playing that role, I feel like he kind of got typecast in that kind of scumbaggy way all throughout the '80s and even into the '90s. Like he just has always had that that vibe to him, and I'm sure he's a nice guy in real life, but. If you know his his work and you know his library, it's like, oh, it's all kind of echoes of this. Well, it was
0: funny because I I kind of, he looked familiar to me when I looked it up. I was like, oh, yeah, because earlier this year we watched Mortal Kombat for Scott because Scott showed me that movie. And he was in the sequel. He played Raiden in the sequel, which was even worse than the original. So I knew him from that. But apparently he's going to be in that new Chris Nolan movie, Oppenheimer. Which is supposed to be like really crazy good. So, well,
2: and while we're on the subject of James Remar really fast, one little quick tidbit is he really lost uh, his claim to fame when he was famously fired by James Cameron in Aliens. He was originally Hicks, the part that went to Michael Bean. But (gasps) But I know this. He did not gel well with the rest of the cast, especially with uh, Bill Paxton the character dynamics just didn't work. So they fired him and brought in Michael Bean very last minute. And there are still a lot of shots in aliens where it is James Remar from behind or from the side. And with the HD version, sometimes you can even see him in the background and yeah, that was like his big opportunity and he blew it.
0: Huh. Interesting.
1: I totally forgot about that, but yeah, James Remar plays Ajax in this and he- As we said, Ajax is a perv. Ajax, when he gets upset, he blatantly insults them and tells them they're they're wimps.
0: He's just the worst. He's just like, every (laughs) whenever anything is happening, they're like, well, I could beat the shit out of these guys. Why do we keep running around? He's just, he's he's complaining about everything. And he's like, I want to be the head war chief. (laughs) Mm, I'm going to fight Swan. It's like, why?
1: (laughs) I also compared him a little bit to Kanicki. Oh yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, Kaneki's an asshole too. It's just it's more acceptable because Greece
1: is a musical.
2: Oh my god, what if this was a musical? But quickly
1: everyone kind of lines up behind Swan.
0: They basically are like, "Listen, shit is now hitting the fan. Let's not fucking lose our shit now. Let's just move along and get this done and get back home."
2: And it's perfectly acceptable to think that they don't even know all the gangs and they kind of show that in One of the future scenes, like 60,000 gang members in the city of New York, like I'm sure they know most of them, but not all of them, and not what their calling card or their neighborhoods are. And the orphans, which is one of the gangs that they show up against, I mean, you wouldn't even notice them for a gang until they started like coming together as a group. They just look like a bunch of ragamuffins on the street.
0: They literally looked like if Oscar the Grouch was a human being, (laughs) like just all of them together.
2: Uh so we
1: quickly learn that Luther's gang of the rogues are uh a bunch of assholes.
0: I mean, to be fair, that's not really like being specific enough because there's no nice guy fucking gang in this movie. Even the Warriors, they, you know, not to skip ahead or anything, but at one point, a bunch of them walk by just a woman sitting alone in a park and Ajax wants to, you know, assault her. And the guys are like, they don't say like, oh, no, we can't do that. Ajax, That's wrong. They're just like, dude, we don't have time for this. We got to go. We got to go get the train. It's like none of them are really nice people everyone's an asshole in this movie
2: this is true this is true even when we are introduced to one of the main female characters one of the only main female characters yeah there is romantic stuff that's built into the story but none of it makes sense because everyone's an asshole to her
0: (laughs) yeah everyone's horrible to to her and like okay this is let's just get there because they they meet the orphans right the warriors meet the orphans and this girl mercy who's played by deborah van valkenberg she's essentially a prostitute a live-in prostitute with the orphans gang and she's just making trouble picking at them and like laughing at them whatever and at one point the warriors leave and she follows them and then the warriors grab her and they are every everybody in this movie treats her like absolute crap right nobody likes her they all find her irritating one of them calls her a whore they're all horrible to her and then when the warriors escape one of them decides to grab her by the hand and take her with them and I'm (laughs) I'm looking at the movie I'm like wait why are they taking her they don't nobody likes her why are we taking her with us and then magically she starts a romance with swan because he's the main character and she's the only female i guess
2: i'm gonna just say that one is like pheromone based like she sniffed around and she was like okay this guy seems like the alpha i'm going to like hitch my my skirt to this guy that's my hypothesis
0: (laughs) (laughs) for sure
1: so yeah they get into a little bit of a scuff with the orphans uh, leading to a Maltoff cocktail being thrown, and us getting back on the train
0: with mercy in tow for reasons I don't know. Oh, look, a lady. Let's <laughs> let's take her.
2: Here's another thing. I think it's rather impressive to be able to tell this story and the the amount of screen time that we are given with it, and being able to utilize all of the costumes, all of the actors who are probably working for free just to be in a movie with some of these gangs. There is a very sense of controlled chaos in this film. And I really respect the hell out of that because when you're talking about behind the scenes drama, yeah, that's definitely, I'm sure part of it is the fact that you've got all these people, all these costumes, and this is a low budget movie. The sheer balls it took for a production company and a director like him to make this happen in New York city in the seventies, yeah it is very impressive. I think that's part of the film's legacy as well
0: that That's why I'm like so on the fence about this movie. It's like the runtime is mercifully short, and they do get a lot done in that time. But I almost kind of wish that they had given us a little bit more and like fleshed out at least like our main characters a little bit like Swan or Um, mercy or even ajax maybe a little well maybe not ajax fuck ajax but you know what i'm saying like give us a little (laughs) more of somebody also like the acting and listen i get it like i said like they're all very green it seems for the most part the actors right but like it's very obvious how green they are like a lot of the acting is is super like stilted and like i don't really care about anybody i don't know who any of the like there's so many names for these people i don't know who The only people I know the names of are Swan, Mercy, Ajax, and then I learned Fox's name like halfway through, and that was it. Right. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know who anybody is.
1: Well, okay, let's look at it this way. If this movie were to be remade today, we probably would have gone 10, 15 minutes beforehand with The Warriors, to at least right. establish them more.
0: Yeah, it it just would have been nice to have maybe even that just to like make us care a little bit more about them and like see more into their world and why they're in the situation that they're in.
1: Well, the cops surround them and this is where uh Fox gets chucked onto the train tracks and dies. <laughs> oh my
0: god, it was so bad. It was so obvious. First of all, it was very obvious that they were trying to cut around whatever romance they were planning with Mercy and Fox because when the cops come they are clearly in a close quarter conversation like they're very intimately having a conversation when the cops come and then he grabs her by the hand and takes her and runs and when the cop tackles him and um, like is about to throw him off the train he tells her to run and go and like he protects her so it's very obvious that there that was the plan at one point and then it's also very obvious that he wasn't there probably when he was thrown over the train like it was some other guy like in the middle of that fight
2: totally some other guy with a shorter wig it was like
0: (laughs) hilariously bad so like yeah it it was very rushed (laughs) and very obvious that like we need to get rid of this guy because he's a big pain in the ass for whatever reason
1: but uh, this is where our gang gets separated.
0: Is this the baseball guy fight? This
1: is where we get the baseball guy fight. In this the was Furies. fun. They run into, as we have mentioned countless times so far in this episode, the baseball Furies, which are a baseball team mixed with Kiss.
0: Um, <laughs> Ajax actually contributed something good to this scene he gave one of my favorite lines of the whole movie <laughs> he turns around and one of the baseball guys he's like i'll shove that bat up your ass and turn you into a popsicle i was like that's fantastic yay okay i like you for a minute
1: <laughs> the warriors do win so we cut to our other group of warriors who get picked up by the a bunch of ladies
0: oh my god this was the dumbest fucking side quest bullshit i've ever seen in my life (laughs) this the poor younger kid with the afro is so immediately on to these girls so the the joke is they get picked up by girls and the girls turn out to be a gang and the guys have no freaking idea because they're like wait you're a bunch of girls you can't be a gang (laughs) and then the (laughs) the youngest kid in this gang realizes pretty much immediately that something is wrong (laughs) because he's the only one with a brain apparently that isn't in his penis. And um, th- that whole thing is so stupid, but it basically just takes up time till they can all get back together.
1: But they do learn from this that they're being blamed for Cyrus's death.
0: Oh yeah, that's how they found out. That's the only important thing that comes out of that scene.
2: Okay, first of all, how dare you because that is my favorite gang, the no! li- the all girl switchblade gang it's the switchblade sisters it's giving us a callback to the switchblade sisters except they call themselves the lizzie's and yeah they're amazing (laughs) they're like oh these dumb fucks are gonna follow us into our house and we are going to cut them up i want to see that story i want to see that movie i want to see 90 minutes of the lizzie's putting this plan together and capturing the warriors
0: the the patriarchal gang ladder yeah that'd be that'd be fun
2: (laughs) oh god so
1: this is where ajax swan and our other crew run into a random lady sitting on the bench oh my god i'm
0: this was like one of my moments
1: in this movie where i was like really happy (laughs) ajax is like i'm gonna go have some fun ew fuck you guys and the freedom walk off and ajax of course tries to assault a lady yep
0: and the lady this is like okay i said to you guys i could have sworn to god at the beginning of this movie that ajax was gonna die a horrible death and i was ready for it i was like please oh please kill this guy horribly and it didn't happen but what ended up happening was so much better so he tries to assault this lady and she pushes him off and uh handcuffs him to the freaking bench the park bench and she's like haha i'm a cop bitch and starts using a whistle to call the cops over and ajax is trying to get undone from this fucking park bench meanwhile using his other hand to like smack at this this cop, and then yeah, the cops come in the little cop car, room, 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 and they arrest his dumbass, and they hit him in the face, and he starts bleeding, and his little lip starts trembling, and he starts to cry like a little bitch, and it just made me so happy.
2: Yeah, it's fantastic,
1: but uh, yeah, he gets arrested. Swan meets up with Mercy, and they quickly go running into the tunnels to avoid the police. This is kind of where we get the more of the establishment of them possibly establishing a relationship.
0: It was so that was I didn't like that scene at all. <laughs> it was uh, it looked like they were just trying so hard to make something out of nothing, and it was just not working.
2: I remember very vividly when I was a kid watching this because I was exposed to this movie early. That was the part I fast forwarded because it was boring.
0: Yeah, I was not feeling it even a little bit. Yeah, and i get it like he hot guy and she pretty lady so like it's but like even that on that base level it's just like no i don't i don't feel anything here like
1: <laughs> she just grabs him and kisses him i'm like what are you doing like what is this we're in the tunnels the only thing we have to worry about is giant ninja turtles and- <laughs> we're fine otherwise it was it was super stilted it was like the
0: worst acted scene in the whole movie probably
1: (laughs) you probably have to assume that the other guy was supposed to have a relationship with her we've established that and was again fired after eight weeks that this was kind of thrown in last minute these two weren't tested to have chemistry together
0: I'm going to take a stab in the dark and I don't know how the production went for this movie or the pre-production or whatever, but I don't think there was a lot of care taken into like chemistry testing. I think they were like, Oh, these people work for peanuts. Let's get them in the movie. Let more money we could spend on leather vests.
2: <laughs> yeah. There's a real gorilla sense to the filmmaking here. And they, like I said, that controlled chaos on film worked for me, even though it's obvious there was a lot of uncontrolled chaos off screen
1: yeah but i don't think especially in 1979 that you could have had this movie any other way Mm -hmm. than chaos so we quickly get to where we're supposed to get to union station and we run into the rollerblading gang
0: because it's the 70s so of course there has to be a rollerblading gang all dressed in overalls and striped shirts like fucking like caillou or something like i don't understand what the fuck we're doing
2: i thought it was like farmers on roller skates that's the way i kind of took of it you know
0: and it the way they did the scene was weird too because okay swan leaves fucking uh mercy in the dust (laughs) because why okay (laughs) <laughs> you you dragged her along and then you're like go away all right so he leaves and then he's on the train platform and these three farmers with roller skates as antonio called them yeah. <laughs> standing there like literally like a couple feet away right and then mercy walks up behind fucking swan and she's like um i gotta talk to you i don't know if you realize this but there are three guys with rollerblades behind you and they're they're stalking you basically and he's like yeah i know they're literally right there i see like it just (laughs) came off really weird the way they staged it
1: but this quickly leads to all the warriors showing up bringing mercy into the men's room and the best fight scene of the fucking movie by far
0: Because you can tell people are really getting hurt.
2: Yeah, people got fucked up in this scene.
0: (laughs) I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Mercy got whacked in the face with a baseball bat, like the actress in real life. So she had to go to the hospital. Michael Beck broke a few ribs. Like, everyone was getting fucked up in there.
1: (laughs) It's art, man. (laughs) Yeah, they're going through doors, crashing into, like, walls. One guy gets his head bashed into the wall, and it looks fucking real as
2: fuck. Yeah, the oh. tile breaks and is oh yeah, God. absolutely yeah, it's brutal. But
1: see, that's
0: that's <laughs> like the the flip side of like the gorilla filmmaking and the ill this smells like cigarettes vibe. You get that kind of gritty, like realistic fight scenes like that that look really cool and look like people are really getting fucked up, which is awesome to watch. But then on the other side of it you're like, Okay, these guys clearly, you know, don't do acting all that good and the story is not the best constructed. You know what I mean?
1: So uh, right before the warriors get back to Coney Island, they're on this last train. They're clearly beat to hell. Uh, They all look like shit. (laughs) Mercy's sitting next to Swan, and these two young couples come onto the train, all glitz and glamour. They're like, oh, we had such a great time. Clearly coming from prom.
2: That's what I thought. Yeah.
0: And uh, for me, this was the best scene in the movie uh, because it was actually saying something. (laughs) And it was, they didn't say anything. There were no words spoken, but it was saying the most, which I loved. So uh, the normal kids on the train, happy, go lucky, and lovely. And then you have on the other side, Mercy and Swan, just filthy and beat to shit. It's just, it's all said in both of their eyes, like, The line is very stark between how these two groups of people live their lives. And at one point, Mercy uh, goes over to like primp her hair kind of and like push it out of her face. And Swan grabs her arm and pulls it down. Like, don't they're not worth it. You don't deserve to feel like that, to feel beneath them. And yeah, I just love that scene because I thought that it was one of the only powerful scenes in the movie that was saying something bigger than gang wars with kids with silly outfits. You know what I mean?
2: Well, it's also like the only scene in the movie that gives mercy any real emotional structure, because the whole movie, she is just like this girl that follows him around. And in that moment, we get to finally see some character aspect to her. So, again, I don't know if that was actually written or if there was someone on the set or in the production who was like, we can make a moment out of this because this character desperately needs a moment because it does feel out of place for such a masculine movie
0: right yeah and then even even when they get out of the train swan has the corsage in his hand and he hands it over to (laughs) to mercy and she's like what are you giving me this for and he's like i hate to see anything go to waste and he gives it to her and it's like oh like what a nice cute moment that's nice just one one is nice
1: (laughs) but we're back to coney island and swan looks and he goes wow what a dump
0: (laughs) (laughs) What the hell am I doing in here? <laughs> what a piece of junk. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're fighting this big war for our territory. And it's like, oh, Coney Island's a piece of shit.
2: It's funny because we were talking about it earlier about, you know, not seeing parts of the city. It kind of maybe represents the opposite opposite side of that, where these guys have never left Coney Island. They don't know what the rest of New York looks like. So how we were talking about how the elite don't know the seedy side of New York it goes both ways. These guys don't know what's outside. And now that they've seen outside and they've pretty much sworn their lives to defend this piece of ground with a fucking decrepit amusement park. Yeah. It it kind of does make him think this is what I've been fighting for.
1: Yes. The Rose have shown up because they want to kill the warriors. And this is where you get the famous line.
0: I mean, this guy is chewing the scenery like through the entire movie whenever he shows up. So this is like the pinnacle of that. (laughs) It's like an iconic line that even I knew about and I'd never seen the movie before.
2: And apparently that was a first take situation. He did the Coke bottle thing on his own. They didn't know he was going to do that. So definitely one of those things that you can just say, all right, David Patrick Kelly created a moment in film that everyone knows about even if they've never seen this film. And it was a first take situation. That's... That's cool lore for me.
0: That is that is pretty cool. It was like an improv thing in the moment, and it kind of became this iconic moment. That's that's fair. <laughs>
1: that's why you got to love actors sometimes. Oh, yeah, do their thing. Do their own thing, because sometimes you get moments like that. They decide they're going to go meet each other out on the beach, basically. <laughs> oh, my God, this beach scene, man. I can't. Okay, so... <laughs>
0: the beach scene so they have their little confrontation and it's it's you know it's it's good it's fine it's lovely um swan asks luther like why did you kill cyrus and he's like just because i felt like it basically and they they're having this like back and forth and the funny thing about it though isn't even that it's the fact that they have this back and forth and then swan like throws a fucking knife at Luther and hits him in the arm and then magically throughout all of that confrontation they didn't realize... that right next to them on the side an entire ginormous group of people of, of gang members that from cyrus's gang are just standing there on the beach watching this whole thing <laughs> and not saying a word and they didn't notice any of that while this whole confrontation was going on and then cyrus's gang comes up to them and is like all right warriors you're cool <laughs> you can go thankfully they showed up very quietly and not said a word these bajillion people and luther just happened to confess that he shot cyrus for
1: no reason the warriors walk away we get the last shot of our radio lady going hey sorry about that (laughs) that was so
0: good that was the best part she's just like yeah uh just a message to the warriors Uh, um sorry (laughs) whoopsie daisy (laughs)
1: didn't mean to here's a song for you and it's a happy ending it's a happy
0: kinda. ending
2: kind of uh,
0: <laughs> multiple people are dead
2: i i like the whole idea that you know we we see a little mental illness in this with him saying i like to do things like that like he's a total sociopath and just has very self-driven motivation which is interesting that he has a gang following him
0: because it's a cult <laughs>
2: yeah i mean kind of like the way in the abyss where michael bean starts going crazy and like half the crew follows him and the other half start questioning his his mental state kind of that thing it causes for some good on-screen drama even like in movies like the godfather of sonny everyone
1: knows sonny's a psychopath but they they gotta listen to him because you know
2: right yeah so frankie's had a lot of thoughts Thoughts, points, opinions about, you know, how things in this film are framed, how they're shot, uh, the the logistics behind them. And I have to just go back to using the defense. And plus, I've seen all the extras of all the DVDs and Blu-rays that have come out of this thing. Walter Hill really was going for a old fashioned theatrical experience, almost as if it was staged like a play would you know, the way that he envisioned it is as he's telling his story, things would be in frame. So yes, you are playing a scene out on the beach where these two gangs are having a conflict. And yes, the riffs are literally just right there watching. It would be the same way as if you were watching it at the Avon Theater, where you've got one stage to work with. You've got this drama, this Greek tragedy being performed where we are so involved with the story we have to kind of like put ourselves in this suspension of disbelief and illusion of the theatricality of it. And so that's the way I've always viewed it, especially after hearing him talk about how he did try to frame things, you know, and how he did try to tell his story because he is an unconventional filmmaker. He didn't want to make things by the, here's how you make a movie book. He wanted to challenge people's perception of how films were made and received. and, the guy's been working for like 60 years in the industry and has a huge cult following. So in the end, I, I think he kind of knew what he was doing, even if it really wasn't successful for him at that moment.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would definitely say that he he had a, a vibe in mind and he definitely executed what he wanted. At the same time, I will say though, there there are certain shots like that one that just visually just come off as a little funny because it's like it just implies that the (laughs) the the two gangs have like no peripheral vision at all that they can't see this huge group of guys just coming onto the beach apparently in ninja type stealth but i will say that like i think the way that this film was made just like technically and the vibe of it like forget about the like are the characters perfectly developed no is every scene like perfectly choreographed as far as like fighting and you know this and that no but there was a lot of behind the scenes fuckery going on so you have to take that into account as well but I think despite all of that behind the scenes fuckery he definitely did pull off something really cool and he did build a world that you know, say what you will about how silly it is that um, all these gangs are dressed, <laughs> most of them very foolishly, in matching outfits, running around <laughs> with baseball bats and the like. But despite the silliness of it on its face, it de- it definitely, it created a world that I bought into. I was invested. Despite all like the little nitpicks I've had about certain things that happened in the movie, I was invested. I wanted the Warriors to make it. So I think that definitely says something about the overall feelings I have about the movie that despite all my little jokes about this and that, I definitely did overall really have fun with it.
1: And the thing is this movie has lived on and does have a legacy to the point where people do know the lines. People do know about the warriors um, I think in the early 2000s for the PlayStation 2, there was a Warriors video game uh, that was a lot of fun. And to think that a movie from 1979 would inspire a video game.
2: And it was developed by Rockstar, who did Grand Theft Auto, and... You know, there were already a lot of warrior references in Grand Theft Auto 3, and I think they just played off that because people who were playing those games responded to it. It's like, oh, well, I would love a Warriors video game. Rappers were putting warrior quotes in their music, like kind of like Scarface was for the rappers of the 90s. You saw a lot of references in pop culture from this film. So then people who had never even knew it existed started getting interested and that's how those cult films kind of build so
1: yeah it's definitely an impressive legacy this movie has left behind so on that note we have to rate the warriors out of the five antonio what would you rate the warriors out of five
2: a five out of five for me you're talking to a cult film guy and you, this is a film that i grew up with since childhood this is as meaningful as he-man gi joe toxic avenger is so you know it's one of those things where i have no problems talking shit on it because you can talk shit about things you love like a family member or 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 a pet and it's like god damn it you peed on the carpet again i'm gonna kick your fucking face in but i love you you know (laughs) to me that's what the warriors is to me
0: that's fair (laughs)
1: Uh, so, Frankie, what about you?
0: Oh, I have to go next. Um, <laughs> okay. I, w- <laughs> I feel bad following that up. So, um, I was stuck between a three and a three and a half. Um, it- if Letterbox allowed me, I would give it a 3.25 out of five stars. But I I rounded down and um, I gave it a three out of five stars on Letterboxd.
1: Now, I gave the three and a half out of five because I do understand the background mess, and it does come along when you analyze it to be a little bit of a messy movie. Do I have a blast watching it? Yeah, I do. And the Warriors, I think, are a fun concept that definitely could be remade today, I think, if they did a remake.
0: That would be interesting.
2: So, two things. It was almost remade this would have been the next project that director Tony Scott was going to do before he killed himself.
0: Oh my God. So he wanted to do it,
2: but he wanted to set it in uh, Los Angeles instead. And he still wanted to keep that kind of fantastical feeling to it, but flip coasts and add more, you know, politically relevant topics to it but that was next on his on his docket before he he took his life back in the, the mid 2010s so it was going to be remade personally i would love to see this as like an hbo series something like a game of thrones or something like a deadwood but with this as the concept because it would give us opportunity with a long form concept to get that character development of not only the warriors but the other gangs that you so desperately wanted in this film, Frankie.
0: I'm I'm on board with you. Yes, I think that would be great.
1: Yeah, a long like let's say an 8 to 10 episode series mm-hmm. just following the warriors. I could I could I could be down with that. Uh but, but yeah, The Warriors is a fun movie. I feel like if you haven't seen it, you definitely should
0: um i agree i i would watch it again that's the thing like that's why i'm like i went back and forth on my rating because at first i gave it a three and a half and then i thought about it some more and i changed it to a three so i don't know i maybe i need to watch it again and really let it sink in because there's a lot that i appreciate but a lot that i don't
1: (laughs) that was the warriors guys that was the warriors so antonio the cult worthy podcast again both amazing shows i listened to them (laughs) whatever antonio posted <laughs> they're a lot of fun uh we were on what, abbott and costello yeah, meets frankenstein, frankenstein uh which was a, again a very fun movie we're gonna be on again i'm sure we'll have antonio
2: on again <laughs>
0: oh yes of course
2: anytime you guys want me uh, this is a blast
0: <laughs> uh so yes make sure you go check out antonio's stuff immediately he's got a lot of great movie knowledge to share um, and next week on shoot the flick we will be i will actually i will be introducing scott to another movie uh, we will also have another guest i on i believe and uh, i will be torturing them i mean showing them <laughs> another movie and oddly enough that movie also has a. Uh, a baseball scene <laughs> so that'll be fun right scott you like baseball
1: oh so much fun
0: um <laughs> but until then this has been shoot the flick i'm frankie sparks
2: i'm scott eisenberg and i'm antonio thank you so much for having me
0: make sure you check us out on instagram and twitter at shoot the flick and check out our weekly episodes every single wednesday on itunes spotify google podcasts and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast and make sure you come back next week for our musical beautiful movie adventure
1: warriors come, come out, out and play, play. no <laughs> <laughs>